Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Thank you if you're joining us this morning. Thanks for tuning in. Um, I, why don't you turn with me, if you've got a Bible with you, uh, to Isaiah chapter 36. Um, but I wonder uh, if you have, uh, like me, if you've been involved in a lot of Zoom calls recently, um, then you inevitably know what it's like when two people in a Zoom call try to speak over one another. Uh, in that situation, you get that kind of sound and one person gives way to the other but inevitably at least one if not both of those voices just gets lost in the mix and well the reason I mention that is because the Bible teaches that as we go through our lives as Christians we're going to hear two opposing voices one of those is the voice of God who calls us to put our faith in him to follow him to trust him and to obey him and the other voice is the voice of the enemy Specifically, that's God's enemy, and therefore the enemy of anybody who chooses to follow God. Now, he has various names in the Bible, Satan, the devil, the evil one. But what matters right now isn't his name, it's his intention. If God's voice calls you to put your faith in God, and the voice of the enemy calls you to do anything but, because the enemy hates faith and he wants to destroy it. Jesus said in John 10 verse 10, the enemy comes only to steal, kill and destroy. Jesus went on to talk about the life he would bring, but he said the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. And C.S. Lewis, about 2000 years after that, said the enemy will not see you vanish into God's company without an effort to reclaim you. And although this might sound a little bit surreal and potentially even a little bit scary, the Bible is crystal clear that we don't need to be afraid of the enemy. And there are two reasons for this. The first and most important is that he is no match for God. And the second is that we don't actually have to listen to his voice. In our sermon series in Isaiah, uh, we're up to Isaiah chapters 36 and 37. Two chapters, I'm not gonna read the whole thing this morning, but in these chapters, King Hezekiah of Judah hears this threatening speech from his enemy, the king of Assyria, who's attacked Jerusalem. I want to show you how in his choice to not listen to the voice of the enemy, but instead to listen to the voice of God, King Hezekiah finds faith that outweighs his fear. And then I want to show you how the battle that we face on a daily basis as followers of Jesus, in that battle, we can find faith as well by listening to God's voice. The first thing I want to show you is this speech from the king of Assyria towards Hezekiah in Isaiah 36. This is the voice of Hezekiah's enemy. In in Isaiah 36, uh, we are told the story of the invasion of Judah by the armies, the armies of Assyria. And in verse one, it says this, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. In moments, the army of this mighty, uh, evil nation called Assyria wipes out the fortified cities of Judah and lays siege to its capital, Jerusalem. 
And the rest of Isaiah 36 is something I'm going to paraphrase because it's this long speech from the king of Assyria. It's delivered by one of his envoys, one of his messengers to the people of Judah. And it's this loud, aggressive, arrogant speech, just dripping with lofty claims about how great the king of Assyria is. And paraphrased, he says four things to the people of Judah. The first thing he says is, don't trust your allies. Judah had an alliance with Egypt at this point in history, and uh, the king of Egypt was called Pharaoh. And what the king of Assyria says to the people of Judah is, don't bother trusting Pharaoh. He won't come to your aid. And even if he does, he's too weak to help you. The king of Assyria describes Pharaoh as like a splintered staff. He says, if you lean on it, it will simply crack beneath you. Don't trust your allies. Already this speech is starting to chip away at the people's confidence and faith. The second thing he says is, don't trust your king. He says, don't trust King Hezekiah to save you from my might and my power. So Hezekiah's weak. He can't save you from me. He even says, look at Hezekiah. He's been destroying the altars of all of the gods. The gods are angry with him. There's no way he's going to save you. Don't trust your allies. Don't trust your king. He's chipping away at their faith. And third, and here's the big one. Don't trust your God is what the king of Assyria says. He says, your God isn't powerful enough to save you from me. In fact, your God has abandoned you. And look at all the other nations I've conquered. None of their gods stood in my way. Why should your God stand in my way? Each of these statements in this arrogant speech is designed to chip away at the people's faith. Their faith in their allies, their faith in their king, and of course, their faith in their God, their trust in their God. And what does the king of Assyria offer them as an alternative? Well, he says, well, why don't you trust me instead? See, if you surrender to me, I'll protect you, just like you hoped Egypt would. And I'll make life good for you, just like you hoped Hezekiah would. Just surrender to me. The king of Assyria tries to scare Hezekiah's people into losing faith in their king and losing faith in God. And you know what? He almost succeeds. When King Hezekiah hears this speech from his palace, he doesn't take it too well. I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 37, verses 1 to 4. It says this. When King Hezekiah heard this, this speech, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. They told him, this is what Hezekiah says. This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace, as when children come to the moment of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the field commander, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God, and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, pray for the remnant that still survives. Now, I don't know what jumped out to you from that short passage, but Hezekiah's message to Isaiah isn't exactly one that's full of faith and hope, is it? Tearing clothes and putting on sackcloth were signs of mourning and despair. It was a visual way of saying all is lost. And those words that Hezekiah says to Isaiah, please pray for the remnant that survives, shows us that in Hezekiah's head, as far as he's concerned, Jerusalem is about to be destroyed. The battle is lost. 
And if Hezekiah had listened to the voice of the enemy and believed in the claims that the king of Assyria was making, then the next part of the story would probably be Hezekiah's surrender. But if you read on, you see this isn't what happens. Hezekiah remembers that in his land, in the land of Judah, there's a prophet who often hears the voice of God and relays God's messages to the people of Judah. So he sends a message to this prophet whose name is Isaiah. And Isaiah does hear the voice of God. We've heard the voice of the enemy, the loud, arrogant voice of the enemy. And now we hear the voice of God in verses five to seven. And God's message to King Hezekiah is very simple. Verse five says, when King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, when he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country. And there I will have him cut down with the sword. Now, again, I don't know what jumped out to you from that passage. And I appreciate that you haven't read the whole of Isaiah 36 this morning. But something that's really clear if you read the whole of this passage is that actually the king of Assyria's speech and God's speech are polar opposites. You see, the king of Assyria's speech was long and repetitive and full of lofty claims about how great he is, how powerful, how many successful invasions he had carried out. And we know from the rest of scripture that God does not shy away from a great speech. Just read the rest of Isaiah and you will see that clearly. But here God responds in a way that's different from that. He doesn't respond with a great lofty speech of his own. It's a simple message that he responds with. He says, and I'm going to paraphrase what he says. God says to Hezekiah, don't be afraid. The king of Assyria is no match for me. Don't be afraid. He's no match for me. Now, these words must have been a huge comfort to Hezekiah because we see what he does in the next part of the story. We see that he has heard God. But actually, God doesn't just want Hezekiah to allow these words to be spoken over him and do nothing about it. In fact, God tells him to do something, to take action. And the first time I read this passage, it passed me by. But then I read it again and I saw that God tells Hezekiah to do something, right? He says, listen. Listen, verse 7. Listen, when he, the king of Assyria, hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his country. And there I will have him cut down with the sword. God also tells Hezekiah not to fear, which if you've ever been told that is far easier said than done. But then he gives Hezekiah the key to not fearing. He gives him the key to faith. Listen to my voice, not the voice of the enemy. And actually, in the Bible, this is quite a familiar concept. This idea of listening to God and trusting him over the enemy. In Exodus chapter 17, the Israelites are fighting against the Amalekites. And the time when they start losing the battle is when their, their leader, Moses, is doing nothing. But when they start to win is when Moses lifts up his hands in praise to God. When he trusts God with their deliverance. In Joshua chapter 2, when Joshua and his Israelite soldiers listen to God's commands and obey them, listening to God's voice and doing as he says, the walls of Jericho topple. And if we fast forward to the New Testament, we see in Matthew chapter 14, when Jesus calls Peter to step out of the boat onto water. Peter, hearing God's voice from the mouth of Jesus, 
steps out onto the water and begins to be able to walk. But when he begins to listen to the storm around him instead, that's when he begins to sink. Hezekiah here has a choice. Listen to the voice of the enemy or listen to the voice of God. And he chooses the latter and listens to God. And he does the exact opposite of what his father, King Ahaz, had done in the face of an enemy attack. And you can read, these in this, read about that in the first few chapters of Isaiah. But in, uh, in the face of this uh, horrible enemy, Isaiah puts his faith in, uh, Hezekiah puts his faith in God. And in the next part of Isaiah 37, the king of Assyria sends another threat to Hezekiah, again saying, do you really think that your God is going to save you from me? And Hezekiah knows what to do. He falls to his knees in a faith-filled prayer, which ends with this plea to God. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. It's Isaiah 37, 20. Because listening to the voice of God changed everything for Hezekiah. It brought him to his knees to cry out to God, but to trust God with his deliverance as well. In other words, in listening to God's voice rather than the enemy's voice, his faith outweighed his fear. Now, I want to bring this closer to home for us. This happened something like two and a half thousand years ago. And if Isaiah's and Hezekiah's context feels a long way removed from yours, that's because it is. Okay, you are probably not a king. If you are, thank you very much for tuning in to Christchurch Manchester this weekend. But you're probably not in the same context as Isaiah and Hezekiah were. But there are three key similarities between Hezekiah's situation and ours that I just want to draw out in our last few minutes of this talk now. And the first of those similarities is that we are in a battle against a dangerous enemy. In the Bible, this enemy, the enemy of God and the enemy of God's people, goes by several different names. And I mentioned some of them earlier. But in John 8, 44, Jesus refers to this enemy as the father of lies. And the Bible is crystal clear that God's enemy, the devil or Satan, does not want anything good for us, God's people. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But the battle that we're fighting against this enemy doesn't involve swords and armour and city walls and these things that ancient battles involved. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says that this battle that we are fighting as believers in Jesus is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities and powers of this dark world. The nature of this battle that we're engaged in, this battle against a dangerous enemy, is spiritual, not physical. Which means that the primary point of engagement for us as Christians isn't any kind of literal physical battlefield, but a battlefield of the soul and of the mind. A great Christian missionary and author called Watchman Nee said, The mind suffers the onslaught of the powers of darkness more than any other organ of the whole man. And if you're a Christian and you're not quite sure what you think of this idea, that there's a spiritual battle going on that we're involved in, well, let me ask you this. Have you ever felt like your faith is under attack? Have you ever felt doubt creep in and make you question everything you believe about God? Have you ever felt a deep desire to do something which you know that God considers sinful? Have you ever felt like faith in Jesus just isn't worth it anymore? This spiritual battle 
isn't between flesh and blood. It's between truth and lies, faith and doubt, obedience and sinfulness, the spirit and the flesh, faith and fear. And the enemy has many ways of trying to chip away at our faith in the living God. We are in a battle against a dangerous spiritual enemy. But there's more to it. There is so much good news amongst what might sound a little bit scary. And the second similarity we have with uh, Hezekiah's situation is that we too can choose which voice we listen to. One thing to note about the king of Assyria's speech in Isaiah 36 was that it was packed full of lies. Lies like God has abandoned you or God isn't powerful enough to save you or surrendering to me is your best option. It's full of lies. And Jesus called the devil the father of lies, which means that the enemy, God's enemy, our enemy, tries to chip away at our faith in the same way, saying deceitful things like, look how broken the world is. Well, surely God's not in control. Or look, you messed up again. God won't forgive you for that. Or Jesus can't wash away that kind of sin. Or God hasn't fixed your immediate problems. Well, that probably means he doesn't care about you. That last one, I think, is a particularly dangerous lie that I think many of us, myself included, often find ourselves believing. That God's faithfulness is dependent on whether or not he fixes my immediate problems. And we can easily forget that he has fixed my greatest eternal problem. But all of these lies can sow fear in our minds and they undermine our faith in God. But thankfully, God has not left us powerless to respond to them. His spirit lives in us, empowering us to make choices which glorify God. And we have a choice. We can listen to the enemy's lies or listen to God. In Ephesians 6, Paul calls this putting on the armour of God. In Ephesians 6, 11, he says, put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, in the ancient world, it's a little bit different now, but in the ancient world, the bread and butter of a soldier's armour used to be their sword and their shield. And in the armour of God, Paul mentions both of those pieces of equipment. First, he says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. This is God saying to us through the Bible that he has equipped us for this spiritual battle. What are the flaming arrows of the evil one? Well, they are the lies of the enemy, which undermine and chip away at our faith in God. And what is the shield of faith that we can take up? It is simply this, the belief that God is still God, that he is in control, that he is good, that Jesus' death and resurrection have changed everything. And, and in terms of how we use this tool, well, there are several different ways, but let's look at Hezekiah. Hezekiah, in the midst of his fear, fell to his knees in prayer. And we can do the same. John Bunyan put it this way, pray often, for prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God and a scourge for Satan. Taking up the shield of faith often brings us to our knees. 
Now, when it comes to shields, there is nobody in popular culture better associated with a shield than the Avenger, Captain America. And many of you, uh, like Claire and myself, might be watching through the Avengers films in chronological order right now. We are, and we watched uh, the first Avengers film the other day. And there's this scene where the Avengers are fighting and Thor, the incredibly powerful God of Thunder, dives in to try and hit Iron Man with the full force of his hammer. But who dives in the way? Well, it's Captain America with his shield. And his shield, which is made of vibranium, absorbs the full force of Thor's hammer and blows him away in this huge explosion. And the reason I mention that is because faith in God is described as a shield on more than one occasion in the Bible. In fact, on the first of many times in the Bible where God says, do not fear, he says to Abraham in Genesis 15, Abraham, do not fear. I am your shield, your very great reward calls us today to take up the shield of faith, which blasts away the attacks of the enemy. Listen to God's voice, hold up the shield of faith, turn to him in prayer. And Paul doesn't only speak about a shield, but he also mentions a sword. He says, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Not only are you able to defend yourself against the devil's schemes by the power of the spirit, but Paul says you can draw your sword and fight back as well. When Jesus met the devil in the desert in Luke chapter four, the devil tried to sell him a whole host of lies. And each time Jesus rebuked him with scripture, with the word of God, because none of the lies of the enemy stand up against the voice of God in scripture. And if the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, is good enough for Jesus, it is good enough for me. What's this about? This isn't just about memorising Bible verses, although I think this is important. It's about saturating ourselves with the message of the whole of Scripture, that God in his mercy and grace chose to redeem a broken creation through his son, Jesus Christ, and that faith in him brings forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Which brings me to the third and probably most important similarity between our situation and Hezekiah's situation. And this is where I'll finish. But here's what we have in common. The enemy is no match for God. If you take away one thing today from this discussion about the enemy of God, the two voices we will hear competing for our attention in our lives, then hear this. The enemy is no match for God. God's message to Hezekiah, the message he told him to listen to was simple. Don't be afraid. He is no match for me. Hezekiah turned to God and in his faithfulness, God rescued him. Read Isaiah 38 to learn exactly how that happened. And whatever the powers and authorities of this dark world may throw at you and at me, the Bible clearly tells us that the enemy is no match for God. In fact, the devil is fighting a lost battle. When Jesus died on a cross in our place, he defeated the power of sin to separate us from God. And when he rose from the dead, he took away the sting of death from anyone who believes in him. Two of the devil's greatest weapons have been rendered powerless in Christ, which leaves him with lies. And in his last days of this battle, he will cause as much havoc as he can with those weapons. But he will not win. God calls us to listen to his voice, which drowns out the voice of the enemy, to find faith in Jesus, which outweighs fear. To take up the shield of faith in defence and fight back with the sword of the spirit, the word of God. And as Paul says at the end of the letter to the Romans, 
the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I'm going to finish there, but let me pray as I finish. Lord God, I thank you that you have equipped us for this spiritual battle. I thank you that the battle has already been won. And I want to pray very, very simply that you would help us in our lives as Christians by the power of the Holy Spirit to take up the shield of faith in defence against the devil's lies and to fight back with the sword of the Spirit. May it all be for your glory. Amen.